I, you know, okay, so no one's on, on the list to bring salad for the baptisms next week. If your last name begins with zero through nine, you can bring a salad. Or what? Or a Hegel. I thought I said a bagel. I'm like, what? But again, all right, the tofu thing was a joke. Don't bring tofu. I was in an airport one time. And I, and I go, I didn't, we didn't have a Panda Express. I didn't know what they were, but I was like, oh, I like Chinese food. Americanized, apparently. So I walk in, and I, and I get, oh, I'll have that chicken thing. And I, and you get that. You know how weird it is when you go to eat a piece of chicken, and it's tofu? You're all, that is not the consistency I was looking for. And you're, so it looks like. So, bring it. Now, last, I think it was almost a whole year ago when we did the, the nacho bar thing before. Um, I went to El Toro. And I bought, yeah! Holy, it's like, all you gotta say is El Toro, nothing else. So anyway, um, I went to El Toro and I got a couple pounds of carne asada, cut them up, brought them. They were gone like that. Like, you know what that tells you? Go to El Toro, bring some carne asada. We all like that. It'll make our baptism so much more. All right, if you consider element in your home, uh, at 2 p.m. today, we are having a church meeting, get-together, and we're going to be talking about our future plans for paying off that field, let you know our vision for that, and so we'd like you all to come. So, go eat lunch, come back at 2, meeting's going to be about an hour, so we'll keep it, we'll be good. All right. Lastly, uh, Cinderella's Closet. Uh, we did that here. Well, Santa Maria High School asked the ladies who did Cinderella Closet to do one at Santa Maria High School. They did it last Thursday night, and we gave away another 110 dresses. Yeah, it's, it's really awesome. There's actually one girl who was there, apparently, that Jessa was talking to, and she has never owned a dress in her life. And so she got a dress. She's, she's getting some shoes, and she's putting, like she, like, she hasn't had dress shoes, so she got a nice dress and dress shoes. and It's just awesome. All right, so again, so next year when we come around to Cinderella's closet you know and you got again those bridesmaid dresses that you've had in your closet for 10 years you're never going to fit in them again so just bring them down and donate them just saying your husband's too nice welcome to element you're never coming back this, this whole message is going to feed directly into this. It'll be fine. Uh, my name is Aaron. I'm one of the pastors here. There are Bibles in the back. If you don't own one, you can have one. If you forgot one, you can use one. There are sermon notes on all the communion tables throughout the room. If you have a smart, uh, if you have a smartphone, you can download the app. It is called YouVersion. Click on Live in YouVersion. It will bring us up by GPS in your smartphone. You'll get the sermon notes, the verses, and all that goes along with today's message. If you're watching by video, 934-54-5558, type that into Live, and you'll get the sermon notes and the verses and all that goes along with this. Stand me reading God's word. This is Matthew 5, verse 9. You'll see why it makes so much sense. Blessed are the peacemakers. Woo! For they shall be called sons of God. Why don't you guys pray with me? Father, this morning I ask that we would be a people who are about peace. That we understand your peace that has first been extended to us. And that we would live those lives as peacemakers to the world around us. Understanding rightly what that means in all of our interactions. We thank you for coming and saving and offering peace to us. Amen. Have a seat. All right, so this is Sermon on the Mount, week 10. We are in double digits. Boom! We'll be in double digits the rest of the year. So anyway, uh, today we're talking about peacemakers. we got kind of a lot to get through in this. 
And as we walk through it, you got to understand that as Jesus talks the Sermon on the Mount, he does it in stages and layers. So today, we're going to walk through this thing in the Sermon on the Mount in different stages and layers as we flesh this concept out. Jesus starts in the Sermon on the Mount with the blessed are the poor in spirit, those who mourn, the meek, those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, the merciful, which we call the mercy full. And last week we talked about the pure in heart. And today again is blessed are the peacemakers for they shall be called sons of God. So how are you called a child of God? Apparently you become a peacemaker. Now, is this just something random? Is this something that Jesus is just throwing out? He's got a couple words left over, doesn't know what to do. It's kind of like maybe a rap battle and he's got peacemaker, sons of God. What, what? Hopefully it's not offensive when a white boy tries to do that, so whatever, you know. So I I think there's a a real reason behind why Jesus says peacemakers and sons of God. There's a brilliant flow in the Beatitudes. They are not random, out-of-order, nice little things that Jesus says. They are about announcement, and they are about calling. And you got a couple things here. So Jesus starts, poor in spirit, mourning, meek, hungry, and thirsting for righteousness. This refers to a condition that we find ourselves in. The second, merciful, pure in heart, peacemakers, next week is persecuted, refer to how we interact with the world that God has made. They become issues of our heart. So the first four are about us in our condition of lack. The second four are about how we relate to each other, where God meets us in our condition of lack, and then we relate to each other in a different way because God has first saved us. And not only do they break down like that, there's an arc to them. The first four are really like how God meets us, how we meet God in that. And the second four deal with how then we meet other people. In that God meets us in our brokenness and our sin and our failure and our confusion, and we experience the grace of God. And when we experience the grace of God at our lowest point, when we understand that as it really is, it's very hard to judge other people at their lowest point because that's where peacemaking begins. So we're going to take a step back and walk through this. Open your Bibles to Luke chapter two, and the first thing to understand, the first stage of this, is that God is the first peacemaker. It all starts with Him. I mean, I could take you through like Romans 5, 8, you know, while we were sinners, Christ died for us. But I want to take you to the Christmas story. I know we're coming by Easter, but we all love Christmas, and I'm preaching, so I get to talk about Christmas. So I want to start there. Uh, now, what I'm going to do is I'm actually going to read this instead of the ESV. I'm going to read it out of the NIV because it's the most common one that people, when they hear this story, get. So we're going to go with that. This is Luke chapter 2, starting in verse 8. And there were shepherds living out in the fields nearby, keeping watch over their flocks at night. An angel of the Lord appeared to them, and the glory of the Lord shone around them, and they were terrified. But the angel said to them, Do not be afraid. I bring you good news of great joy that will be for all the people, meaning this is for everyone. Today in the town of David, a Savior has been born to you. He is Christ. That's the word Messiah, the Lord. This will be a sign to you. You will find a baby wrapped in clothes and lying in a manger. Verse 13, Suddenly a great company of the heavenly host appeared with the angel praising God and saying, glory to God in the highest, that refers to the heavens, and on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests. So an angel shows up to these shepherds out in the field at night, he makes this announcement, and all of a sudden all the other angels show up and it's like the hallelujah chorus, it's like hallelujah, it's like a good old gospel choir, they go, Jesus, Jesus, you know, I don't know, I'd like to see it, that's how I picture it. And what do they say? They say, glory to God in the highest heaven, you know, and wherever that is, and because of that, Because of God's glory, it means peace to men on whom his favor rests. Now, the word the writer uses here for glory, it's the word doxa. Doxa to God in the highest heavens. The word means thoughts or opinions about something. There is God's doxa of things, the way that God sees things. 
And the way that God sees things is the way that things actually really are. It is God's true thoughts, God's true opinions about something. How God sees things is how they are. Now, we, on the other hand, get off base all the time. All the time. I mean, I'll give you one, one example. Today, we think a great way to get rich is to hope that something bad happens to us so we can sue somebody who might have some money or some good insurance so we can get enough money to live the rest of our lives. I mean, we don't want to get hurt so bad that we're maimed the rest of our life, just bad enough to get a whole lot of money so we don't have to work the rest of our lives. There's something wrong with that, okay? There's something wrong with that. Just an example. Our view is all over the place. How we're feeling, how we're thinking, if we're angry, did you wake up on the wrong side of the bed? Our thinking shifts. Our doxa is all over the place. Now, eventually, this word doxa, in this regards to God, came to mean God's unchanging essence. His unchanging essence, that God is as who he always has been. He does not shift. He does not change. And the way that God sees things is the way that things really are. So we are a people who are invited to also see things the way that God sees them. And we may get confused about something or not understand the timing of that thing over there or understand this over here, but we're supposed to take a step back in those moments and realize that God himself is eternal and we can begin to have the same view of something that God does. We agree with God. God doesn't agree with us. We agree with God. Dokes to God in the highest heavens and when this is seen and it is lived correctly it translates into on earth peace to men on whom his favor rests in romans 5 10 it says that while we were enemies of god he made peace with us god is the first peacemaker and is seen most explicitly in jesus coming for his people now john 14 27 one of the last things jesus says to his disciples is peace i leave you my peace i give you so we understand that peace that god has extended to us we become peacemakers to those around us the peace that jesus gave us now have you ever been around some people who seem to blame all the world troubles on one group of people I'll give you an example, okay? I have some friends who are liberals, and it is amazing in their mind how Bush can still be, like, responsible for the economy six years later. I have friends who are conservatives who see uh, this whole idea where every problem in the world is laid upon some liberal agenda. It's all their fault, everything that happens. The week I was writing this message, I'm driving down to Element, and Harry Reid comes on the radio and says, those Republicans, and, and blames everything in Congress on them. And I start to despair a little bit as I think about this because it seems like we have so polarized ourselves that there's never going to be peace between any factions. It seems there's no dialogue with someone who has an opposing view from you. There's no iron sharpening iron. It's just if you agree with me, then there's something wrong with you. That is not a peacemaker. This is why God first comes and extends peace to us so we understand what it is. And this leads to stage two, the second thing to understand that God has already removed what stands between us and other people. Uh, many times today when you hear about people and their, and their own views of what they have of things, we become more about what we're against than what we're for. We're against that, we're against that, we're against that. And, and I really think that it comes more down to issues of the heart. I think we have some fear that's up inside of there. Like if I decided today that I am against anyone who struggles with questions or doubts about God. And so we had a new church slogan that's called Down With Doubt. Right? And every week I had a new sermon about this, about some book or some other church or some other pastor who talked about some gray area. And I said, we're not down with that because we're down on doubt. Nobody here is allowed to doubt. And I kept talking about that. And I said, every situation in your life is clear. 
Every situation is straightforward. You should always know what to do. You should never have any gray areas at all because we're all down with doubt. And if you came to me and talked about doubt, and I would tell you there's no room for your doubt because here we don't have any doubt. And every week I'm on a different crusade against some other type of doubt, and I call myself a watchman, and I'm on the hunt, and I'm looking out for doubt, and I said, don't read this, and don't watch that, and don't eat this, and don't listen to that. You would think two things. Number one, I've got a lot of free time on my hands. And secondly, you would think maybe he's struggling with a little bit of doubt. Maybe, right? Right. A peacemaker is supposed to be able to take all those things that we struggle with and lead people into the peace of God, especially when we do not know the answers. When we take unresolved things in us and we project those onto other people, it will never lead to peace. This is why Jesus first announces peacemaking. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called sons of God. Now, sometimes I think we get confused about what the opposite of love is. We think opposite of love is hate. I don't really think so. I think love has a different opposite. And again, the beatitude shows us the work of God does something amazing in our life. In 1 John 4.18, it says, There is no fear in love, but perfect love casts out fear. And so love breeds trust. Fear is the lack of trust. And when you begin to step through these Beatitudes and realize it is Jesus who has met us in our condition, in our state of brokenness, we begin to realize there is nothing left to fear in our lives. You know, we can step into the role of peacemaking because we don't have to defend ourselves and our actions. We fess up to our own mistakes. We don't have to hide them away. We know we have been accepted and loved by a God who casts out all fear. So we don't have to create sides of my team and your team and my side and your side and good people and bad people because we know in our poverty of spirit... In our hungering and thirsting, in our meekness and mourning, that God is the one who has come and healed us. That is the love that casts out all fear. We have to stop jumping onto bandwagons that are not Jesus. It's not, are you with them or are you with them? We are just supposed to be on Jesus' side. That's the only side in the world that even met Jesus. That's where we should be. It's not my Jesus. It is Jesus, and I am on his side. It's not trying to make him agree with me in my own self-righteousness. There's just one side. And yet our world endlessly seems to do this. It hands you two options. Which side? You take all the stuff you hate, and you throw it on that other side, and you leave it there. But a profound change takes place in us when the gospel changes us, or it's supposed to, where life becomes simpler and then much more complex at the same time. Open to Ephesians chapter 2. And I love how Paul does this. Paul comes in this and he says, there aren't two sides, there's only one. It's Jesus, and he lays it out beautifully in Ephesians chapter 2. Ephesians 2, starting in verse 11. Starts like this. He says, Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision. So Paul starts off and he says, Right here, there are two sides. They're each calling each other undesirable labels and names. And I know it sounds strange in our today. Like if you were to start, you know, calling people uncircumcised, you would be weird and mildly entertaining, but that's about it. Because right, we don't really have these, these things today. You know, in Paul's day, it's a big deal. It's like, you know, today junior high boys don't make fun of each other by saying, oh, uncircumcised. You know, they probably know what it, like, never mind. Uh, you know, they, they probably don't even talk about stuff like that. But in this day, it was a big deal. It was like junior high boys throw it at each other and adults threw it at each other. And what Paul essentially says is, before you knew Jesus, you were committed to self-righteousness. Because when you don't know God, you've got to try and make yourself good by your own actions and by something you do. So you start to act really good. Then you judge everybody else by your own actions, how they measure up to your own actions. And he says, that's what you're doing. Here it's circumcised, you know, mark of the sign of the covenant, and uncircumcised. They would throw these slurs at each other, which again is so unlike our day. We would never do stuff like this. 
Democrats, Republicans, young, old, Prius, SUV, less filling, tastes great. John, at uh, John Warren's uh, little girl's first birthday party, there was like Star Trek, Star Wars. Kind of funny. You know, anything to say that we are better than somebody else, we can and do. We use these labels. Like we're the bad guy or we're the good guys and they're the bad guys. But the other side thinks you're the bad guys. And we've got to realize we're all the bad guys. Poor in spirit. We are saved by the grace of God. So Paul says, Therefore remember that at one time you Gentiles in the flesh called the uncircumcision by what is called the circumcision, which is made in the flesh by hands. Remember that you were at that time separated from Christ, alienated from the commonwealth of Israel, and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope without God in the world. What Paul says is you've got to remember what it was like when you didn't know Jesus. And if you have been around a church for any length of time, you will run into these people. You may even be these people. He says you've got to remember what it was like to be separated from God, to have that understanding and that compassion at where people are. He says, but now in Christ Jesus, you who are once far off, you've been brought near by the blood of Christ. We are far from God. How do we get near? We don't. God gets near to us. He gets close to us. This is why in Matthew 1, 23, Jesus would be known as Emmanuel, God with us. All world religions are about how to get you closer to God. Christianity is God coming close to you. Jesus comes. He goes to the cross. He is put to death. Why did Jesus die if he never sinned? Our sin. To take our sins away. Jesus is not just a moral example. He is a substitute for us. God sheds his own son, his own son's blood for us. And in doing that, he takes my sin away and gives me his righteousness. God takes away my distance from him and he gives me Jesus' intimacy. By Jesus' blood, God is now connected to me. And because because Jesus didn't sin, death cannot hold him, so he rises from the grave, which brings us to life again as well. And here's the key. Paul says this, for he himself is our peace. The result of this action that Jesus did brings peace between God and us Again, it is shalom, shalom, the way the world should be. Not just setting down weapons, but actually sitting down and having a meal and eating with somebody else. I mean, at this time in Paul's day, there were various decrees by the Roman government to try and get Jews and non-Jews to live peaceably together. It never worked. Today, we still do the same thing. Our government spends millions, probably billions of dollars on social programs trying to get people to kind of hang out together, be nice to each other, and we pass laws, and still we're not nice to each other. Obama even has that beer summit. I'm like, really? A beer summit? I mean, really? There's a problem. We hate each other because we all think we're righteous in the hope of the world, and we think everyone else is the problem. And so Paul says, for he himself is our peace, who has made us both one. He's taken all that away. He's made us one and has broken down in his flesh the dividing wall of hostility by abolishing the law and of commandments expressed in the ordinances, that he might create in himself one new man in the place of the two, so making peace and might reconcile us both to God in one body through the cross, thereby killing the hostility. Thereby killing the hostility. Now it's not about culture. It's about Christ. All the dividing points have been taken away. It doesn't matter your music or your clothes or your haircut if you're like cats or dogs. Really? Okay? The issue is, do you love Jesus? That's the question. It becomes about Jesus, not cultural distinctives. I mean, God's purpose is bringing people together with him and with each other. God's plan is to take everybody who act like rebels and bring them close And we should respond with love and gratitude and grace. I mean, some of you in this room have nothing in common with anybody else sitting next to you except maybe you love Jesus. And that makes you family. And that is what makes you family. 
I mean, in America, you're constantly told about your personal relationship with Jesus Christ. And Jesus does save you personally. But it's never meant to stay personal. It's meant to be lived communally with other people around you. And so the same old labeling systems just don't work. Maybe this means for you, you actually get to know somebody who has a totally different view on something than you do. You might actually realize in the end you actually like those people. Because eventually the same old debates aren't going to stay interesting forever. I think we understand the perfect love of God that casts out fear, the dividing walls all being gone. We find ourselves more embracing of those around us. Because we realize God has first embraced us by seeking and finding us. Which leads to the third stage. The third thing to understand is how does peacemaking relate to the sons of God? Because Jesus connects us with peacemaking. Open your Bibles back to Matthew chapter 5. Where Jesus says, Blessed are the peacemakers, for they should be called sons of God. In there, that word son... It actually means sons and daughters. This is why some translations put children of God. So how else does Jesus use this phrase? Well, Matthew 5, verse 43, a little bit later. We'll get there in a couple months, actually. (laughs) Matthew 5, 43, Jesus says, You've heard that it was said, you shall love your neighbor and hate your enemy. You've heard that it was said, take sides, draw lines. That's how you do it. Find out who's in, who's out, who's liberal, who's conservative, figure that out. But I say to you, love your enemies. You find a way across those lines. If someone has drawn a line in the sand, what do you do? You grow closer to them because God has come close to you when you were an enemy of his. That's what you do. You move towards them. He says, and pray. Now, part of praying for somebody is to pray for God's blessing upon them. Actually, wish the best for them. So, you, again, you move towards them. And a lot of people today say, no, I don't like that. They're my enemy. I don't want to pray good things for them. I want to pray bad things. I want to pray that their wife gets a cat and their, t- <laughs> and their TV gets stuck on the home shopping network. That's what I'm going to pray. Jesus says that's not... It doesn't work that way. He says, and pray for those who persecute you. Why do you do this? So that you may be sons of your Father who is in heaven. For he makes his sun rise on the evil and the good and sends rain on the just and on the unjust. In this agricultural setting, sun and rain were very vital to make crops grow. And so God sends his sun and the rain on everybody. God's like an ocean of love and kindness and peacemaking. He sends his sun and his rain Every, on everyone everywhere, whether on the good, bad, righteous, unrighteous spectrum. And instead of pushing people away and causing more division, we're to realize as a people that God has already met us in our own murky waters that we could not navigate through. And when we understand that God has sought us and blessed us while we are far off, we can no longer shove everyone into these little categories because we understand as children of God that we begin to see the world just like God does. Open your Bibles to Joshua chapter 5. This is one of the coolest verses, I think, uh, for our world that we live in today, especially for everybody in high offices, no matter which side of the aisle they are, that say, God's on my side. This is great. Uh, Joshua 5, verse 13. This is Joshua going into Jericho, and it says, When Joshua was by Jericho, he lifted up his eyes and looked, and behold, a man was standing before him with his drawn sword in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or for our adversaries? See, there's the question, right? Which side are you on? War is coming. Joshua asks, whose side are you on? Ours or our enemies? Are you with our church or that church? This theological vision or or that one? Verse 14, and he said no. In Hebrew, that's the word neither. It's a cool word, right? The word neither. Which side are you on? You have to choose a side. Neither. Joshua's got to be like, I didn't give you that option. I said A, B. I didn't say C. You know, you got A or B. Verse 14, and he said, no, but I'm the commander of the armies of the Lord. Now I have come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshiped and said to him, what does my Lord say to his servant? And the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, take off your sandals from your feet for the place you're standing is holy. And Joshua did so. I'd probably say with his tail between his legs just a little bit. Now we right here think that this is probably what's called a theophany. Jesus showing up in the Old Testament. 
And the impulse is, which side are you on? And Jesus is like, neither. But the ground you're staying on is holy, so how about you get a bigger perspective than what you think you have? I mean, imagine that. This becomes really important because Joshua is going to go into the promised land. The first town he's going to take is going to be a place called Jericho. He's going to do it with the help of the one of the inhabitants in that land. And not only is she an inhabitant of the land, she's also a prostitute to boot. I think God's saying, you know, sometimes, sometimes battles have to be waged. But you must understand, even in the midst of that battle, that I am a God that loved those people too. Even in the midst of maybe having you do some things that are really hard. I love those people, too. In the Sermon on the Mount, these words are God's words for us. We do not have our own righteousness. We do not have it. It only comes from God. And if we go at people with self-righteousness in the name of Jesus, it's never going to make for peace because it doesn't show us to be children of God. It confuses people about what God's love is actually like. And understand me here. I am not saying, and Jesus isn't saying, you can't disagree with somebody. You can't have opinions. You can't have issues and policies. I'm not saying any of that. I mean, sometimes you do have to go after somebody and say some hard words and some hard things, but you never forget who that person is in the middle of that. As soon as you leave the argument of what it is and go to personal attacks, you have left peacemaking. You have left peacemaking because Jesus is talking about relationships. And we must understand that God's love, when we live it the way he calls it to, changes everything. This is why there is a blessing for peacemaking. It's progression. Poor in spirit. God met us in our moral depravity where we didn't have it all together. Those who mourn, we understand how we have blown it, and we see God meet us in that place. So we become meek, humble. We can get it together. God is the one who gets it together for us because we're lost. We begin to hunger and thirst for that righteousness that he places in our souls to worship and love him and his creation around us. And then we begin to become merciful people. We have compassion for those in the same straits that we are or used to be in. Pure in heart. We become less judgmental. We become more focused. A singular person. We are not hypocritical anymore. We become less cynical because God has met us. And then peacemakers. And now we have love for everyone out there and not just everyone in here. It's why in our element we tend our gospel communities to always be open because the kingdom of God is always open. It's like we are beggars who have been given bread and we're just showing other beggars where the bread is. That's what we're doing. You know, we have love for those who even slander us. And, we, and there's nothing wrong with going and after somebody saying, hey, you're slandering, you need to stop. You can do that, but you don't forget who they are and start to slander them in the process. It's always about peacemaking and reconciliation. We tear down the walls of slander, those walls that divide because Jesus has first done that. We become peacemakers like our God is a peacemaker. It's about love, grace, and hope. I will tell you, honestly, sometimes your peacemaking can even bring anger because people just won't get it. I really think it's right that next beatitude is there, where Jesus says, you know, blessed are you when you are persecuted for righteousness' sake. I I think that's why that is there, because sometimes when you live the way that God calls you to, it's not always the easiest. The scriptures tell you the cross brings division. Peace sometimes can bring division because people don't like it. But we are still to be about peace and shalom because our God is on a rescue mission for the world and he calls us to be on that mission with him. And think about this. Jesus comes. He shows us what peace is. He brings peace in that incarnation. And what do they do to him? They killed him. We killed him. What makes us think it's going to go any better for us when we live the same type of peacemaking that Jesus brought? But see, we are to show ourselves as the children of God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they shall be called the sons of God. 
So questions this morning for you is, who do you need to extend yourself to today? Who do you need to extend, extend yourself to? You know, who do you disagree with that maybe you've left the issue and gone to personal attacks in the middle of it? You know, where can you start to live the peacemaking that has been given to you? Because this is where the rubber meets the road. I and mean, this is where you come to church like, oh, I went to church. You know, I sang six songs and I heard about Jesus. And now I can go on with the rest of my life. You can't go on with the rest of your life if you're not peacemaking. If we are believers, we are peacemakers. We live that peacemaking that Jesus first brought to us. And sometimes it's really hard because our natural tendency is to make sides of who's in and who's out and who's here and who's there. And we're supposed to move towards those people. And when they personally attack you, you let it go and you keep on that beeline of peacemaking. Because this is what our God has done for us. Uh, this is why we come to communion every single week. It reminds us that our God has made peace with us through the blood of Christ. That's why you break that cracker like Christ's body is broken for us. It's why you dip it in the wine of the grape juice. It reminds us of his blood that was shed for you and I. Because our God came and got close to us first. While we were enemies. You know, God redeems us and he loves us and calls us home. The band's going to come up. And as they do, we invite you guys to take communion. There'll be some deacons and elders in the back. And, I mean, if you have never felt like you've had peace with God in your life, they'd love to pray with you about that. Uh, maybe you have huge issues with other people, and you're like, how do I even begin to start making peace with all these knuckleheads in my life? Well, maybe that's a place where you've got to start and realize maybe you're the knucklehead. <laughs> you know, because God begins to deal with that pride issue in our own hearts. And we become humble enough to actually begin the work of peacemaking. And, it's, and again, it's a hard work, but we are to extend ourselves first. So often we're like, you know, they did this and they need to come to me. And that. God still extends himself first to us, and he calls us to live the exact same way. It's a simple way to live, but it's very complex and very hard in the end to do because we so much want to just harbor all those things against all these other people. But Jesus has taken away what divides us from other people. Um, there's offering boxes on the side wall in the back, and we give because God gave so much to us. Giving is simply part of our worship, so you have the opportunity. Uh, there is some food in the back. We invite you to grab some to eat. Maybe you go out to lunch with somebody, uh, maybe somebody you've got an issue with, and then maybe you know this, this week you can begin to work through some of those things and extend yourself and become a peacemaker. Maybe you've got somebody in the back of your head right now that's like, oh, man, I hope I never have to make peace with that person. Maybe that's the person you need to contact this week and go out and start making peace. Again, because it doesn't start with you. It started with Jesus. It starts with God and the Son coming and extending peace to us. And so we become those peacemakers because our God is infinitely good. And we live the way he calls us to live in honor and glory of him, lifting him up in all things. Let's pray. Father, I ask you this morning that we remind us that it is about grace and hope and peace. The peace that you have first given to us. And God, quite frankly, it is so easy to draw lines in the sand and say they're there and I'm here and think that the rest of humanity is so much different than we are. And yet the truth is that we are all in the exact same place. We are lost without you. Father, I ask that you would take us and move us the place where we extend ourselves to others. That we would not see ourselves as the hope of the world, but we would see you as the hope of the world. 
And we would not point to our own solutions to all these problems, but we would point to you as the ultimate solution for everything, always lifting you up, always glorifying you, for you are the true and only hope of the world. Teach us today to live as a people full of peace and hope as those peacemakers. We ask this in your son's good name. Amen.